creativity for me, it's our essence. It's our purpose in life. I really believe that we have been put on earth to create. I feel like it's, it's who we are. That was such an inspiring short clip from the next guest here on the Creative Kind podcast, and that is Dan Dan Liu. Dan Dan is the central reason why my understanding of lighting and video has just absolutely taken off. She is such an inspiring individual. She's worked with Netflix. She's one of Skillshare's top instructors, and I can't wait to dive into this episode with everyone. We speak about so much really insightful, philosophical ideas that kind of took me by surprise, but the more that I read and learned about Dan Dan, the more I know that she was bound to provide a ton of feedback, and she's someone who I've wanted to get on the podcast, so I'm so delighted to share this with you. Enjoy. I have with me Dan Dan today. So excited to share this interview with this guest. It's someone who I've been meaning to speak with for a while now. She is an Emmy award-winning filmmaker. She's one of Skillshare's top teachers. That's how I personally discovered Dan Dan on her uh, lesson on lighting techniques. It was something that I had just always been like, mm, elephant in the room. Uh, you know, I don't need to worry about this just yet. But having taken her course, it was so enlightening, pun intended, and uh, I just learned so much, the basics of lighting for filmmaking that I found so foundational. And so I had messaged Dan Dan asking if she'd be open to having a conversation, and she graciously agreed. And so I'm excited today to share that interview uh, with everyone. And... Uh, I welcome you, Dan Dan, and I want to thank you for the great work that you're doing. And to start, I want to first ask you about an article that I read uh, from you, which is something that people may not know about, and we're going to go fully to the left field here, uh, kind of go away from lighting, but we'll get back to it, I promise. Uh, and I want you to explain a bit from your own point of view on why uh, life is all about letting go because I've read this article from you and I think it's a, a lovely uh, article that you've written about the importance of letting go in life and what that can mean in so many different ways than what we may traditionally think that might mean. So yeah, maybe you can share some uh, thoughts on your reflections on the art of letting go. Yeah, First of all, thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here. I always love speaking, you know, with kindred souls who share this love of creativity. And I love how you're opening with this question. So letting go for me, it's really has become a way of life. Um, a lot of people, they, they see me as a Taoist, which I feel like is a philosophy all about letting go. But I feel like if you look at all the processes, you know, creating, loving, giving birth, writing, forgiving, growing up, they are all forms of letting go. And I feel like a lot of the times though, we understandably are afraid to let go. And so we spend our energy 
holding on, holding on to things that don't serve us anymore, holding on to expectations that don't really align with our truth. And so when that happens, I feel like that's a lot of where the stress, anxiety, and problems come. And in my own life, when I shifted from controlling life and holding on to things that I was afraid to let go, holding on to things that I thought I should be doing, and instead opening up and letting control go and trusting life, things just started to come to me in unexplainable, magical ways. And so it's really um, become a way of life for me. And there's a, um, a beautiful phrase in Taoism in ancient China called Wu Wei. You may have heard of it. And it's translated as the path of least resistance. Or some people like to also say it's, uh, it's active non-doing. And to me, that is um, very much a, a way of life that centers around letting go. So, you know, when you look at seagulls fly in the warm wind currents, you know, they're not actively holding on to anything. They're not actively ex exerting their will. Instead, they're letting go and just letting the wind let them rise and, you know, just kind of going with the flow. And for me, when I started to embrace that, I found that life really became this story filled with surprises that were just beyond my imagination. And when I let go, it just really enriches all areas of my life from filmmaking, you know, instead of holding on to my idea of how a story should unfold, I let go of that. And I, and I try to flow with, okay, where is a story wanting to take me? You know, how can I flow with the story? And when I do that, I find that the films I make are just much more powerful, much more resonant than if I had gone and held attached to my own conception of how, how the story should unfold. So that's a little bit of how I define letting go and why it's, it's such an important way of life for me. Yeah, thank you for uh, sharing that. That is a really, I think, a calming note to start on. And I think it's interesting to understand why going with the flow and embracing what's working for you and letting go of false beliefs and maybe beliefs that you've once held that no longer are um, benefiting you and that actually may be hindering you or say hurting your health, um, why letting go is important. Why do you think within the human condition and even from like a business angle, we have so much difficulty with letting go, whether it's grudges, whether it's tension, stress, right? We often find ourselves where I I feel that people are uh, carrying all this weight with them. Why do you think that there's so much of this chronic pain that like every individual carries, but is collective when we look at this as a, you know, a systemic problem? Yeah, I feel it really comes down to the fear of the unknown. You know, I think 
a lot of us, we've been raised in traditional schooling to value always having the answers, always knowing how the plan is going to unfold. And somehow, if we don't know what we're going to do next, or if we don't know how everything's going to fall into place, then it means that we are in a way failing. And um, so I think that's one part of it. I think another part is that it's it's really scary sometimes to let go. And because when you let go, you're really letting go of control and allowing the spontaneity of life to carry you. And I feel like, you know, the unknown is one of the most scary things to face and to embrace. And so when we are afraid of, of jumping into the unknown, of embracing that, we tend to want to control our lives through planning, through, you know, being even afraid to look beyond certain expectations that we have upheld our whole lives. You know, maybe you see yourself as this kind of person and in, the, in your deepest sense, you feel like mm, maybe that doesn't fit who you truly are, but you are afraid of peering beyond, behind that expectation, that mask because it's unknown, uncharted territory. And so you tend to hold on to that self-identity, that self-image, even though deep down you know that maybe it's not, it's not the right one for me now. And I, I'm speaking from experience. You know, I've, I am not just speaking this because uh, I'm someone who is not afraid of the unknown. I have gone through multiple journeys in my life where I have to really, really, um, take that leap of faith and trust life. And so when they do that, then they see that, oh, clarity comes when I, I take the first steps. And when you do that, uh, life just you know becomes this adventure. It really becomes an adventure that takes you into places that you would have never expected you know, to go. Beautiful. The, the path of life is often and can often be somewhat of a surprise uh, to us. But I think that within Stoicism, we talk about embracing through the good and the bad and not necessarily letting the, the turbulence shake your sol like solitude and your strength. And there's a Stoic example of a tree that stays still it sways with the wind you know it moves in the storm but it's, its roots are firm and i think that that analogy as well can be parallel to this conversation of you know whether it's say a maple tree that's learned to let go of its leaves to survive in the winter right or it embraces growth in the springtime um but it, it stays firm and it stays true to itself. I'd like to maybe transition this conversation into the importance of education and uh, self-learning and always being in a state of developing skills and growing oneself and never really remaining stagnant. And that's something that I've grown to appreciate over time is you know, always being reading and always looking for opportunities to learn. Um, 
And you know, I mentioned at the beginning there, but when it came to lighting, right, I felt, oh, you know, I know this, right? And there was a fear, I think, that I maybe held that I didn't need to incorporate it. Or as a uh, freelancer videographer, I could get by without having lighting, relying on natural light or relying on windows and spaces. And I think that me admitting that lack of expertise and being open and willing to take that leap to learn a new skill set is in itself, yes, I'm acquiring a new skill, but I'm also letting go of a false belief that I don't necessarily need this skill, right? Or that I, I can get by or I can make do without. So I think sometimes in letting go, you're actually acquiring more. It may not necessarily be a uh, tangible, a physical manifestation, but it could be something like knowledge that in letting go of that false belief or say of a, you know, maybe not false, but of a, of a former uh, process or thought process, you are actually developing and growing as a person. And so I'm curious to know uh, from your own lived experience, how did your journey as a instructor through Skillshare start? At like, what was your first course? And you have so much in your catalog, we'll bring up a few examples momentarily. But yeah, where did that, uh, that inner desire to help teach others come from? And what have you found to be your motivation to continue to be putting out content, to continue to become one of like the top instructors on Skillshare, but also broader than that, being an instructor in your own right um, within the, the film sector? Yeah, thank you for asking me that. Oh, so my teaching journey for, um, I started teaching in the field of filmmaking and as you now know, I have branched into the more the creativity, the um, kind of more mindful, authentic life side. And I started teaching filmmaking because I felt this deep call and responsibility to share the things that I had learned in my own journey of self-teaching, myself filmmaking, and to others, because I saw that from my own journey, you didn't need to spend thousands of dollars or years in a film school to make beautiful films. And you didn't need to spend so much money on fancy equipment even to make cinematic resonant films. So my journey of filmmaking, it was quite unconventional in that I didn't go to film school. I, I just took a few tutorials online and I just, ordered some very basic bare bones equipment and flew to Jerusalem where I felt like, you know, there was a story for me there to, to film. I was very curious about the daily life there, the life that you didn't see on mainstream media, which often focuses on conflict and violence and really gave myself this experiment. Can I design my own filmmaking degree? I had also realized that the traditional way I had been taught about learning 
needed to be shed in a way. Um, the very much textbook academic approach for me felt like it was quite inefficient to this kind of creative work. And that really the, the only way to learn, the best way to learn was just to jump in, skin your, skin your knees, make mistakes, and, and really learn as you make a film. And so when I did that, it started, you know, catalyzed um, this journey, this unexpected journey where, you know, really I grew and developed and established myself in a filmmaking field. And I realized that I, in a way, I, my style was very different from the typical filmmaking style. So it was more of um, a minimalist filmmaking style. So, you know, I, I worked on these um, film crews with this heavy, expensive, elaborate equipment. And, you know, you had to spend hours preparing and, you know, to film a very simple scene. And um, I was still missing that style of filmmaking where, you know, you could really fly with your camera and just go and access these little nooks in the world with a light footprint and have this very intimate style of filmmaking where, you know, the people you're filming, they don't feel all of the gear, uh, which I feel sometimes is very intimidating. Instead, they just see this very small setup and um, are able to have this deep connection with you. And so um, I saw that, oh, this style that I I've kind of, you know, um, developed, I feel like there could be a place for that in the filmmaking world. And so that's how I, I made my first class. Um, and then from there, I, I saw that there was a big lack of structure in the online filmmaking world. You know, there's so many tutorials on YouTube, but how do you fit them together so that you can progress from beginner to advanced? And so I then started to design my classes so they could, you know, connect in sequence, really bringing you from zero to, to pro um, in the most concise way possible, where I try to filter out all of the unnecessary fluff and just give you the, the golden nuggets. And so that's how um, my filmmaking teaching started happening and the a little bit of the intentions behind that. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting to hear. Uh, just talking about the, the minimalist approach both within the production side of having a light footprint when you travel and when you're on set uh, and like that that can you know help calm people's nerves and I totally get that that makes complete sense and I think likely a lot of listeners can resonate with that it's a valuable the approach that you've taken I find and found with the uh, training through Skillshare you were a big motivation for me when I was starting my online course and thinking the type of way that you can communicate that through like really simplistic transitions in terms of just like flat colors simple text um, I really enjoyed watching your tutorials, how you always like have a big smile at the end of everything. I was like, thanks for watching. And you finish with a nice smile. And that's just like a great way to help lift, you know, someone's spirits. So I, I felt that that was something that you don't often see, that like you carried a very positive attitude throughout the entire process, but with like this 
peaceful nature and i was like oh man i gotta have a gotta have a conversation gotta get her on the podcast so i'm happy here we are um kind of surreal um yeah no i i think that's that's a really a really insightful intake um i'd also add that the process in which you're talking about that there's so much information out there but that the, the that that was a good point as well. I found that I've been overwhelmed when I was starting. Um, because yeah, you know, it's, you often hear that, well, like, why would I take your course? Right. You know, I've thought of those objections in my mind as I've developed my own course because there is so much out there, but I think the, the amount of information out there often leads to a paralysis by analysis where you're getting so many mixed opinions, so much like content, you don't even know where to begin. There's so many different YouTubers. And I found that in my experience, I often went to YouTube when I needed to learn something very particular. I thought it was like a specific effect or it was, you know, a solution to an error that I was experiencing, right? Like I found that that's like, valuable in YouTube because it's so know-how but when you're in the beginning and you don't really know where to start or everything seems overwhelming having someone hold your hand and kind of walk you through the process from start to finish is so valuable and I found that uh, with Denver Riddler's Color Grading Academy that like changed the way that I see DaVinci Resolve and like within the first module he was like basic one-on-one this is the software I was learning things I didn't even know about the software. I was like, dude, this is class has already paid for itself. Just learned, like that's a function in it. So I think that it's a really good point. And I think that a lot of your classes kind of do reflect that like transition and you've like built out roadmaps within Skillshare. I'd ask you like as a top teacher there, you know, I'm sure you have some, some loyalty to the platform. It's come up though in myself when I was looking for who to host my own course content as I develop it, where to host that. Um, and I've hesitated to move ahead with something like Skillshare um, or Udemy for the like understanding of like licensing and who owns your content. Now, I'm sure because you have such a backlog there and because you know they likely have spotlights on you and things like that, have you considered moving your information off platform, building your own website, taking a greater ownership? Now, again, let me know if you can or can't speak about this. Um, but yeah, I'm curious as to why that's kind of where you've staked your ground and if you've considered transitioning off or yeah, doing taking a different approach. Yeah, your question is actually very timely because I'm actually this year starting to host my own learning journeys off of the platforms you usually find me on like Skillshare and Udemy. The reason why I decided to start with those and continue on is because um, when I was starting, I didn't have so much of a following and marketing, you know, was very foreign to me and I, I just wanted to create great content. 
And so I found that that was a really great symbiotic partnership and, and Skillshare in particular actually really helped me to grow as a teacher because they would just, you know, spotlight my classes where I would be discovered and, and then bring me um, actually a community. You know, it's incredible how many deep friendships I've made from the, the connections that I've made on Skillshare. And so that's the reason why I decided to start with, with those platforms. And I decided to continue because namely, I just really love the culture of Skillshare. I love how active the students are, how intentional they are. And you can really sense that they very much care about learning and about um, progressing, you know, with their craft. And so up till now, I had this goal of being able to, at least for the filmmaking side, uh, really create this comprehensive education um, where I put out classes that would link together were to bring you to a point where I felt, oh, you have now all the tools you need to go out there and to tell amazing stories and to tell them in a, in a way that's um, powerful and beautiful from the inside out. And so now I find myself feeling the call to host my own experiences, namely because I, I, I feel the call to cultivate community and to offer depth. So Skillshare and Udemy, I think they're great for being discovered, um, but in terms of um, allowing you to have the space to create a more in-depth community, uh, I feel like you know, it has its limits. And so I think now I, I'm actually creating two programs. Um, one is filmmaking related. And so for those, I will be hosting, uh, hosting them on, on, my own, on my own turf, uh, trying to really create it like a more intimate inviting space, you know, where members can get to know each other, to support each other, and where I can actually give personalized feedback since now I'm unable to keep up with the with the a number of questions and projects I receive on those platforms to give personal feedback. So yeah, your question is, is very timely. I am now switching. Awesome, yeah, I, I'd love to have you back and dive more into that and learn more about your, your uh, teacher uh, perspective, but that's, that's cool to hear. And yeah, I appreciate you sharing more on the you know, the, the positives that you've had as well with Skillshare and especially early on, I think it's valuable just to provide exposure, right? I mean, take this conversation as a case in point, we wouldn't be having it had you not been on Skillshare, had I not found you and, you know, someone listening to this may follow up, find you on social and take that course. So there's, I'm sure that you've seen uh, like a waterfall cascading effect that there's been other benefits that have come that were almost like least expected from just having presence there. Um, I want to talk a bit about your lighting course and um, the value that I've found because uh, I didn't really understand lighting. It actually wasn't until I was taking my own course, fulfilling my own course, using like kind of, you know, Amazon LED kind of, you know, under hundred dollar panels. And it was like hurting my eyes, like looking at off camera. And I was like, okay, like this is ridiculous. Like I need to get a better light and I need to understand light um, from a filmmaker's foundation. Um, and so I felt that you did a really good job of like 
kind of stripping it down, but also presenting the core essentials in a clear, concise way. Um, so like, my terminology is still not great, but like this, you know, having a key light and having a fill light and having a backlight that I think just like those three concepts are like just the basis. And that was something I didn't realize. And I had looked on YouTube and I didn't really find anything. That's like why I went to Skillshare. I was like, I need to go deeper. Can you just kind of give a sparks note for if someone's getting set up and they need lighting, they've maybe never thought about this, uh, that in depth before, or they know they need to, what are those three sources of light and what's kind of the significance of each of them? Yeah. So before I dive into that, um, just want to say that, you know, like, like you shared, lighting is intimidating subject. So if you're feeling intimidated or like, you know, it's just way over your head, uh, know that you're not alone. You know, it's a very, it's a complex subject and it's actually something that I was very scared of when I was learning filmmaking. I think it's actually one of the most intimidating fields, maybe besides color grading and sound editing. I think, you know, lighting is, um, is a whole can of worms. And so I'm happy to hear that you found my class, uh, you know, simplified it for you and, and made that clear. So with lighting, um, you know, I usually don't like to go so much into the technical equipment. A lot of people think uh, first focus on what light should I have, you know, and they, they look it up and they say, oh, it's so expensive. I can't afford that. But actually with lighting, you really want to hone in on the principles first. It's better to hone in on the principles with the lights you have. Maybe that's even a flashlight, you know, or like your beauty light on your bathroom counter. Then, then go, you know, get all of these expensive lights, but not know what the principles behind good lighting. And so with lighting, you know, a lot of, you know, many of you know that you light A to make sure that you're bright enough so that people can see you. So that's the primary function of light. The second is that uh, it allows you to develop the mood, you know, that you're trying to convey in your story or in your scene. And, you know, you can do this through the kind of light, you know, sometimes you like a more cozy looking light, sometimes you like a more harsh light, you know, maybe for more dramatic scenes. But the third uh, reason that we use lighting that is so overlooked, you know, I've never seen this mentioned that much in the online tutorials, is that it really brings three dimensionality. So film, you know, screen is two dimensional. And often without lighting, um, and this is also with natural lighting where you see the limits, is that you'll look very two-dimensional. You know, you'll, there's not that much separation between you and your backdrop. And so that's why we use artificial lighting is to be able to highlight certain surfaces, edges, so that you really are able to pop out and really give that beautiful cinematic feel that we all associate with really beautiful shots. So to do this, um, it's, you don't need so many tools. You, know, you need uh, a main light source uh, called the key light. And this doesn't have to be an artificial source of lighting. You, know, you can stand by a window and illuminate one side of your face or you're seeing through, through that window. The key light is your main, main source of light. And so for me, if for artificial lighting, um, 
you know, you can do this in many ways. You can actually buy a light. I use the Aperture 120D. I know you have the Godox, Godox uh, 60, SLW60, which are very comparable. Um, but you just want a main source of light, which is your key light, you know, that'll illuminate, um, that'll allow you to be visible and uh, illuminate one side of, of your face or your scene. And then the other two parts that are usually taught in the most basic three-point lighting system is called the fill light. And this is optional. So the fill light will illuminate the other side of your face. And you can vary the, the level so that you can either have a dramatic look so that one side of your face from the key is stronger and more brighter, while the, the other side of the fill is more in shadow, or you can turn up your fill light so that you know, both sides of your face are even. And then the last part is an optional, it's called the edge light. So this you typically is a small light. You typically put on the back side and you um, shine it so that it illuminates your shoulder just so that it allows your back side to pop and separate itself from the backdrop. And if you don't have a professional light for this, um, you can use a flashlight, really any small light, just to give that little hint of light on the edge of your, of your shoulder. And you'll see that with all of these three configurations, if you compare a photo or uh, an image that's not lit compared to one that has some key, maybe a little fill, a little backlight, you'll see that they, they look radically different. That even adding um, just a little bit of light uh, for your key, fill, and edge light will really help you pop out from the background and create a more professional look. Yeah, that's that's awesome. <clears throat> I appreciate you uh, sharing and diving deeper into that. And even that right there is a good reminder for me. Um, a few kind of quick questions to follow up on this. Um, mo most immediately, if people say can't access that that lighting or say the space doesn't allow that like i think your point of using flashlights that's a good example um so like you don't necessarily need it doesn't need to be a fancy light you find ways use like use a window use uh, a flashlight for the fill right like there's ways that you can do it um to work around it what about if say someone's filming outside um in in nature like would you say to not worry like i feel like sometimes um there's like a balance between using natural light versus using artificial light and you almost can sometimes do a mix of the both um how would you say to like work on finding that balance like would you say always prefer the natural light if you can i've shared sometimes people say even if you have natural light like you no know, like tape it up and like create your own environment with the light so you have complete control what would be your recommendation for something like that to like just kind of work with what you have or to focus on the mastery of having complete control yeah so it really depends on the scene the the look that you're going for and the purpose of that particular shot what kind of story you're trying to tell and so if you're filming outside one of the things that I always like to follow is to use what you've got to start with what you have. 
No, a lot of times people, they go in there without observing the lights that's already there, you know, and they'll start just adding a bunch of lights. Um, but a lot of the times natural light can really be used to your advantage and it can really simplify your lighting setup so that you may not even need to set up any lights. You can just shape that natural light with tools like diffusion, which I go into the course, you know, diffusion is like, um, a screen uh, or fabric that you put in front of your light to soften it so that it doesn't create that many harsh shadows. And um, you'll often see it used for very naturalistic shoots. In fact, I, I tend to always use diffusion because with lighting, a lot of the times um, you can tell it's an amateur set it up because it looks what we call sourcey. So that like you, you can tell that there's a, an artificial light there instead of, you know, it should really blend into the scene, almost like when you're cutting or editing music, you know, you, you don't want people to notice that there's actually cuts in the music. You want them to just experience that, you know, as a natural part of the film. And so it's the same with lighting. And if you're outdoors, um, at first really just observe with what you have, you know, where are the shadows falling? Are there any unflattering shadows? You know, a lot of times people, they film under trees and they don't realize that there's actually the shadow of the branches, um, you know, imposed on, on the face of their subject. And so really look at, you know, the, the natural light, whether there's any unflattering shadows, if there are either move to a, a new spot that doesn't have those shadows or use um, a diffusion disc you know, you can hold it above your subject so that it can soften those shadows and soften that light coming through. And I would um, really recommend also maybe playing with negative fill, you know, if you want to have a more dramatic look, perhaps you can illuminate one side of the face uh, with, with natural light and then put um, a piece of black paper or uh, if you want to go a little more professional, you can use um, a flag, a black flag. And what that'll do is that'll absorb some of the lights. Um, so if you put it on the other side of your face, the other side of the face is going to have a, a, a more defined shadow. And when you have that, usually it lends itself to a more dramatic, dramatic scene or dramatic look. So it really depends. Um, other tricks for outdoor scenes that I usually encounter, for example, if there's grass outside, a lot of the times when you film, there's typically a green cast to your skin tone. And so to remedy that, what you could do is you could put a, an, an orange gel, and which is, it looks like plastic wrap, but it has a, a color to it. And you can place that in front of your light so that it counterbalances that, that green cast on your skin tones, which sometimes is, is quite difficult to remove and post. So it really depends on what you're going for. The first thing I would do is really be intentional. Step back and ask, what am I trying to convey? What mood am I trying to convey? What is the contrast levels that I would like to incorporate into this shot? And then I would look at what am I working with? Where is the sun coming from? you know, outdoors, if it's a cloudy day, note that your exposure or the level of brightness is going to change constantly if they're moving clouds, because sometimes the clouds will move across and cover the sun. 
And so you have varying levels of brightness throughout, which I know sometimes is, is annoying to some filmmakers. And uh, an app I really recommend is called Artemis. And this app will basically track the, um, the pattern of the sun in your exact location throughout the day. So you can see, you know, how, how are the shadows going to fall? Um, when, when will the sun be at its highest peak? Because um, a good rule of thumb is you don't really want to film during noon uh, when the sun is at the, the highest point in the sky, because that tends to create very harsh shadows and very harsh harsh levels of light that doesn't look that flattering. So yeah, I would just really be intentional. And um, I wish I can give you a formula, but it just depends on, on so many different factors here. But those are some tips I hope that will help. Another question that I had is when I've used my light and had it as a key light, if my subject is wearing glasses or if there's a reflective surface behind them, I find often sometimes I can see that uh, that reflection, whether it's, you know, I can see the light in the, in the glare on their, their glasses, or I can see it sometimes like on a shiny surface behind them, you can see reflection of the light. Have you encountered this? And what are strategies to overcome having that reflective um, like softbox? Yeah, I've definitely encountered this. And so for this situation, if, if there is a reflective surface on the back that is removable, I would remove it because if you can't really do much to, to change the way the, the light is you know, reflecting on, it's gonna reflect no matter what, if that's going to be your positioning. So for example, for the, um, the lighting class I made, um, you'll see that when I turn on the light, I saw that there was this framed poster in the background and the glass was catching the, the reflection of the light. And so what I did was I just removed that poster. I think that's the, that was the most simple solution. Another thing you could do if it's, the light is reflecting off a surface is you can try to somehow change the trajectory trajectory of the lights um, at that point of that reflective object with negative fill so that the negative fill is absorbing some of that light before it, it, it hits your object. Um, and in terms of the glasses, usually what you can do is change the angle or, or the height of the light so that it's not reflecting off of the glasses. So if you have someone wearing glasses, just keep adjusting and moving the light up and down and changing its angle until you find that it's not catching in, in the glasses. Yeah, those are good, good kind of immediate solutions, those workarounds. Appreciate that advice. A few final questions for you, Dan Dan. One of which is if people wanted to find you, what's the best way for them to contact you? You know, you mentioned you're on Skillshare, um, I'm following you on Instagram, but what other platforms maybe are you on that I don't even know about? Um, but also for the ones that I do know about, do you mind just sharing more information? You mentioned your two upcoming programs. If people want to learn more from you, if they want to become more involved, how can they either sign up for like a waitlist on that, access more information about you? 
um, even to see some of your previous projects and films. Maybe you can talk about some of the work you've done. Yes, yeah, so just kind of give that a bit of air. Sure. So there are a few ways you can connect with me and keep up with the work that I'm doing. The primary way I like to update people on the projects that I'm working on and my, you know, the latest offerings is through my newsletter. And so my newsletter, you can find the link. Uh, if you go on my Skillshare page, you'll see that there's a section where you can sign up there. And in this newsletter, I, I really like designed it so that it has the calming vibes of a tea house. For me, it's really an extended intimate space where I can share hidden gems on filmmaking, creativity, and the art of authentic living. And so yeah, if you would like to follow my work, feel free to sign up there. And then for behind the scenes, I usually like to share on Instagram. It's at Inua Studio, which is the name of my creative studio. And um, for my classes, you can, the Skillshare ones, you can just go on Skillshare to find me there. And uh, I actually, at the end of my profile page, I have filmmaking maps where I link together all of my courses into a comprehensive sequence that you can follow as you progress. And um, besides those, for my films, you can check out my Vimeo. There are actually a few that have not been posted on there yet because they're still on the film festival circuit. And for my articles, as you can tell, I have a lot of creative outlets. Uh, I like to write articles on, you know, creativity, on the unlearning, on authentic living. You can find those on my Medium page, uh, medium.com slash at dandandu. And Two of the programs that I'll be offering this year that I'm really excited about is one of them is geared towards filmmaking and one of them is geared towards more of the, the life side of things. So the first one I'll be offering, it'll likely be launched in the spring, is called Unravel. And this is a program that I have been really feeling and um, cultivating for a few years now. And it's a multi-week immersive learning journey that's all about exploring your inner landscape and coming home to your authentic self, which I feel is really the foundation for flourishing in all areas of your life. And so through 12 weeks or 12 to 16 weeks, we will explore different doors that I find is really key in, in what I call unraveling, in inhabiting and discovering who you truly are. And so I hope this experience will allow you to meet yourself for the first time, which is just really, I think one of the most beautiful experiences that you can ever have. And then the second program is geared towards filmmaking. So it's called the Film Artisans Club. And it'll be a membership for those of you who'd like to deepen your filmmaking practice and really hone in on your storytelling abilities, which I believe is really the heart of beautiful filmmaking. It's not the equipment, it's not the fancy tricks, it's really the, the storytelling. And a lot of the times I find people, they skip that part. You know, how do you build a strong story arc? What are the essential ingredients needed to create a, a resonant story? And um, I'll also be going into how you can turn filmmaking into a sustainable career. So exciting. 
That's awesome. Uh, congratulations on launching both of those programs. Definitely include links to the newsletter, uh, like your link tree. I know that has a lot of those direct links as well. Um, so I just want to say thanks again, Dan Dan. Really appreciate the time uh, and the community and the knowledge that you're sharing and the humbleness that you bring to everything that you do, but also the uh, simplicity and the straightforwardness. It's, it's refreshing. Uh, I watched, I found a few other uh, lighting videos when I was in my process of learning it. And I have to say, full transparency, no bias here, uh, but yours was the best. So if you're looking to learn lighting, you're willing to upgrade your skills, definitely check out Dan Dan's online course, uh, second to none. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to maybe address or maybe something that was on your mind coming into this that we haven't had uh, the chance to dive into yet? Hmm. You know, I always ask this question to my documentary characters. Mm. And now being asked that, I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I have to think about this. I think one thing that I thought of when we were speaking was how, you know, teaching, it's, for me, it's not just sharing knowledge. It's really has become a creative medium in itself. Mm. And so for those of you who are thinking of teaching, which I know there are a lot of you out there, I would really ask yourself, you know, when sharing knowledge, how can I do it creatively? Challenging assumptions is one of the most important um, things you can do as a creative is really questioning why do things have to be done this way? That's something that really allowed me to develop this um, artisanal minimalist filmmaking style. And, um, and I feel like a lot of the times we don't Take the time to question why does this have to be that way you know or or why why do i um why do i have to spend all of this money on this equipment is there a way to do it more more simply mm. and so asking yourself that question um allows you to innovate and it allows you to find creative solutions to the obstacles that you're facing in the creative medium or in the learning path that you're on. Yeah, no, I, I like that. It it makes me think of something I heard once, which was like, every time if you say something, say someone asks you, oh, what do you do? Or, you know, what's your job of, of that nature? Or even if you're just explaining a concept to someone, if you find yourself repeating it, repeating it, repeating it, can you challenge yourself every time to have a different delivery? Can you tell it with a different emotion? Can you elaborate? Can you simplify? Can you match that description or that explanation or that introduction in a unique approach and challenging yourself to always implement that I think is difficult because we often do get into the yeah yeah, yeah I do xyz I do xyz or whatever it may be abc this is how you do this right it becomes so monotonous and it loses the spark and the pat you may lose passion if it is just something that you you get tired of repeating this is a way to challenge yourself to 
market tide of Wikipedia to keep that uh, a, a, an excitement to yourself where you are molding your your words to fit the environment but even if you have some environments um, say you're going to a lot of networking sessions now of course that's not happening because of COVID but like hypothetically if you go to a lot of those different sessions if you're out consistent business meetings how can you take that information and represent it in a new way how can you always be refining that right and improving on that delivery and I think that kind of that reflects a bit of of what you said there about focusing on on like your process um and so last question for you dan dan thanks again i know we're over time but this has been a, a value-packed episode for sure uh so last question i ask this to every guest uh as the final question what does creativity mean to you mm, i love that question creativity for me it's our essence it's our purpose in life i really believe that we have been put on earth to create and yeah i would say it's i feel like it's it's who we are you know it's our nature everyone is creative um believe it or not there was a time when i thought i was an uncreative person because i i come from a scientific family and you know started off working as a hardcore scientist and I was terrified of the arts and I never would have ever associated myself as a creative person. And so I, I've come to realize that everyone is creative. Nice, that's a, that's a lovely answer. And I think that it's true that we do have this romantic view of creativity, but creativity often comes up in, in places where you least expect it, I've found. Thank you so much, Dan Dan. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I'll have to get you back on the podcast. And uh, yeah, I just want to say keep up the great work and I look forward to staying uh, connected. And I'm glad we had this opportunity to, to get to speak one-on-one -on -one together. Oh, me too. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. And you're a lovely podcast host, by the way. Really, I, I appreciated the way that you steered the conversation, but still gave me space to express myself. So I feel like you're really gifted and just so thankful for this opportunity. Thanks so much. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate that. That's uh, it's nice to hear. All right, a bit of a longer one today uh, with the creative kind. But that's just because I had so much to unpack. I actually cut back a lot of this interview, if you can believe it or not. Uh, but Daniel was so gracious to just keep on giving in that interview. And I just want to, again, give a shout out to all the amazing work that she's done. And just that grace and humbleness she brings to all of her projects. It's honestly so inspiring. And yeah, it was, it was just really refreshing for me to hear from someone like her about all the good work that she's up to and i'm so glad that i was able to share that with you and so i'd ask that if you enjoyed the podcast and if you enjoyed this episode then share this episode with someone who you think that would find value in this and if you've been enjoying the podcast whether this is your first episode uh, you know i encourage you to go back and listen to all the episodes earlier on in the season there's so many valuable interviews with other creatives in the video production space. 
And if you enjoy the episodes a lot, then why all means give us a subscribe wherever you are listening to this. And so I just want to acknowledge that I'm not always the most effective with getting these podcasts out on time. Um, but it is something that I'm embracing. It's something that I want to do more of and just getting more comfortable speaking ad limb, speaking to you, the listener, and trying to give you the best value possible with all the interviews that I have conducted and that I plan to conduct. And lastly, just to quickly say, if you haven't heard my brand new show, The Sustainable Kind, definitely go and check that out after. Uh, And that's really focused on uh, a different angle, talking about sustainability. This is Alex Leonard, host of the Creative Kind podcast and owner of the creative company AL Media. My business specializes in videos, mural paintings, and illustrations. From working as a radio DJ, journalist, illustrator, painter, and now video editor, I've worn many creative hats. So visit alexleonardmedia.com to work together. This is Alex Leonard, host of the Creative Kind podcast and owner of the creative company AL Media. My business specializes in videos, mural paintings, and illustrations. From working as a radio DJ, journalist, illustrator, painter, and now video editor, I've worn many creative hats. So visit alexleonardmedia.com to work together.